You're listening to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, the NaNoWriMo Project Part 3 of 4, as Jared Axelrod and I continue our discussion with our panel of NaNoWriMo participants, Veronica Giguere, Christopher Morse, Starla Hutchton, and John Miro. Let's continue the awesomeness and, and continue making our way around the table. Uh, Veronica, you are up, my dear. Oh, no. um, what are you? What, have you done NaNoWriMo before? I have done NaNoWriMo once. Once. Okay. All right. Once. So, so what, what have you learned from that first one that you're applying now to this upcoming NaNoWriMo? Outlining beforehand is actually really good for me. I know, I know that other people like, you know, we have our pantsers and it wouldn't be a, an RTP session if you didn't invoke Nathan Lowell. So, That's right. First. And yeah, I'm, I'm not a pantser when it comes to writing. I do prefer an outline. And last NaNoWriMo, I actually took a comic script and put that into story form. And that was perfect for what I wanted Excellent. to do. So this time, definitely outline. And um, my other thing is I I do too much. I do way too much. (laughs) You you write too much? What? What do you do too much? uh, Just in your life? She has like 500,000 words. Oh, no, no. Between between I I have a research project proposal that's due at the beginning of December as well. Uh, Um, Oh. And voice. So you're like Christmas November. Yeah, school, family. Are you acting in any plays, job. too? <laughs> uh, I masquerade during the day as a mild-mannered higher ed administrator. So, yes, I'm acting every single day. <laughs> uh, so, Very but, cool. But um, one of the main things that I do is I try to make use of the in-between times. So getting up a little early or using my lunch hour to write, um, I bring my laptop with me. Very cool. All right, so adding outlining, if, if you are so inclined, and using that in-between time to good use. Those are good, good suggestions, good prep. So uh, your story, Veronica, I am so looking forward to this. What, what have you brought and what can we sink our teeth into? Okay, well, I'm bringing back what I had before on the Roundtable podcast. Oh, excellent. Um, I'm going to use uh, my Wetterby story, which is, uh, let's see, fantasy on the high seas and Ooh. airships and um, a I guess steampunk, a little bit, a little bit of steampunk, a little bit of, you know, religion versus science. Um, lots of ships. I ha- the protagonist is uh, Ezefin Alburn and she is, she and her cousin Terrace are being told by their parents um, that they're going to be apprenticed at their uncle's boatyard in um, another city, Tenegrive. Um, the family business is shipbuilding. In this setting, shipbuilding is seen as a holy calling because your religion focuses on the sea and worship of the sea and sailors and pretty much running your own ship is kind of like being a priest, um, except there are a lot less restrictions and more drinking is encouraged. Hey. So, hey, there's something to in mind. So, they are told that they are going to um, go and apprentice at the shipyard. 
And uh, Esophan's like, yay, I'll, this is awesome. And Riddick's like, no, this is stupid. This is not religious. This is all science. Can't you wrap your heads around this? But after much protest, they're both forced off. Um, and Riddick is pulled aside and said that he needs to keep an eye on his cousin because due to circumstances surrounding his birth, um, he's been blessed by their major deity. Um, and he'll know more of what's going on. So they go over to Tenegrove and they're met at the dock by Terrace, who is uh, the office manager for their uh, uncle's boatyard. And he is one of those devout followers of the seafaring religion. Um, so he takes a whole lot of pride in working at the shipyard, um, just being there. And he warns them when he meets them of this very dangerous trend that's coming out of the desert lands um, where they are blaspheming and retrofitting these seafaring ships as airships. So Ezefin's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And Riddick's like, dude, this is kind of cool. I want to see one of these. <laughs> so immediately he and Terrace are not friends. And um, Riddick really doesn't want his cousin getting involved with this person. But hey, he's devout. He's good with books and numbers. He can't be all that bad, right? Then when they start to apprentice and they're going around to different yards and meeting some of their business contacts, they also meet um, a young ship engineer named Khalil, who is from one of these desert kingdoms. And his father is one of those people who commissions ships from the boatyards to retrofit them for steam engines. Um, all lovely sorts of fun and games continue where they meet and talk and become more enamored of each other. And Riddick becomes more enamored of the steam technology and he and Khalil get along very well. Um, he and Terrace do not get along very well. Ezefin's trying to figure out where she fits in. In all of this, she wants to believe in the religion. She wants to follow family tradition, but she's, she sees the logic behind what Khalil's presenting. Towards the end, the coming-of-age thing, when um, they build these new ships to finish out their apprenticeship, they are required to sail a model ship. Basically, it's not a real ship, just a model. Um, into a maelstrom, which is considered the kind of the heart of the religion. You mean like a prototype ship? Yes, like a prototype. Okay, so, gotcha. but rather than actually sail into the maelstrom, all they're supposed to do is get it close enough, cut the sails, throw the sails into the water, and let them be brought into the maelstrom. Well, this, so they, they have to cross over land to get to the launch where they can do this. Um, so they get more exposure to the desert kingdoms. There's more of a rift between um, the devotees and the not-quite-devout. And when they begin to launch stuff, Terrace decides that, no, it's going to be real, and he actually tries to drive the ship into the maelstrom. And at that point, there is a rescue mounted by airships to pull them from the maelstrom, and that's kind of where I have it ending right now. Okay. Very cool. Excellent. Um, what are you hoping to get out of, uh, uh, from, from the five of us? I guess 
making, sh- I guess, further refinement of the story, stuff I should explore with characters. Okay. Very cool. All right. Then uh, first thoughts and a question. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you, sir. Um, first thoughts and a question for Veronica. Sure. Uh, I really like it. I like the world particularly. I think that's very, very cool. Um, my question is, and I, I didn't listen to your uh, your original uh, episode, so I apologize for that. So it might be answered. Yeah, that's that. okay. This is, no, this is. I went far, far off base from oh, the good. original one. I think. <laughs> I like going far off base. That's always fun. Um, oh my yes. <laughs> who is the primary antagonist? Because you have these characters. One character is very scientific. The other one's very religious. Are either of them meant to be the antagonist, or is it sort of just the fight between the two? Terrace is meant to be the antagonist in this. Okay. Uh, he he is the one who finally at the end, um, the the religious fervor pushes him to endanger them. So he, gotcha. he winds up being the antagonist. Okay. Cool. John, first thoughts and a question? I'm having trouble trying to picture um, the, the, this prototype ship, and I'm trying to picture the mission. Like, I, don't know, I guess my question would be, how bad yeah, is it, your protagonist to, um, to, the, to, to following through with his, the mission of testing the ship? Is this a life and death thing for him? To testing the ship? What do you mean? The maelstrom. It's, it, it's, okay, for the antagonist, it's very much a religious zealot sort of thing. It's the, mm-hmm. we need to prove this. So it, he will have no problem dying because there's a, dying at sea is not as bad as dying on land. If you die at sea, then the lady will save you and you'll rest eternally okay, so. It, it's dying at sea for him. It's not a bad thing. He figures if he's dead at sea, he'll he'll be fine because he has faith. Um, the others don't see it this way. Drowning would be bad. Okay, so um, does he uh, agonize at all over what he's testing the faith, <laughs> voluntold to test the faith is the crew of this ship? Does he does he feel that at all? Does he feel bad about doing it? Yeah. About no. killing everybody else? No. no. Oh, okay. Because, because that would, because like I said, drowning is not a bad thing for him. So he's giving them a gift. Exactly. Like he's, by killing them at sea. He's proving that. He's proving them that he's right and that they'll all, you know, meet this deity together at the bottom of the ocean. Okay. Cool. I, I'd, uh, I'd need to. When we check in, I'll have more questions. Okay. Next round. Next round. <laughs> Starla, <laughs> first thoughts and a question. Um, this strikes me as way more, I, I get the f- more of a feeling of epic fantasy than of sci-fi from this. Um, yes. Okay. So I'm wondering if there's actually any magic, like if this maelstrom actually could have some sort of weird portal type thing in it or if it's if you've got more of a oh religion is bad and they're horribly misdirected kind of um generally you know writers prejudices and ideals will come through in their writing so i'm wondering if that's the angle that you're taking with this like science good religion bad they're probably i mean with with the characters Riddick will have a touch of magic to him, but I hesitate to call anything overly magic. 
um, it, it's probably it's probably closer to a sense of what people have. Um, just like a certain touch or a certain, I'm not sure how to write magic. I really never have. Um, I have to start. I, I remember when I did the first, um, the first round round table with this story. Uh, and Lyle said that with her work, she had been told you may need to add more magic and, that's probably something I'm going to have to do with this. I'm just not sure how and where. Um, yeah, well, well, for me, it just seems like there's you. You need to make a decision either way because right now it seems like you haven't decided if there's magic and you haven't. Be, just it hasn't. It doesn't seem like it's been decided if it's epic fantasy or like epic sci-fi. <laughs> so because you've got so much of this technology and shipbuilding stuff in it, there's. Um, oh, it's really yeah. the the setting is actually closer to a, about late 1800s. I'm thinking three masted schooners, and um, wood, pretty much double hulled wood ships. Um, very. It, it's not high tech at all um okay still some, some good yes. points to be raised and and considered uh jared your first thoughts and questions sir yeah um i like i like the idea of ships i love a good ship story um tale of the high seas that's a, a really inspired um element and to have the airships coming in and uh kind of taking that ship culture and changing it is a really nice thing to do and it's a nice um mimic of the rise of the steam engine and and things of that how it completely changed people's lives and and a lot of people were resistant to that um because you don't need to care for horses when you have a steam engine um so I, I really like that concept of it i'm a little lost and so maybe you explain this and i missed it um SFN is the protagonist, yes. Correct. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm really embarrassed because I... That's okay. Is it a boy or a girl? It's a girl. I'm sorry. Girl, SFN's right. a girl. Yeah, excellent. Wonderful. What does she want? <laughs> she wants... Well, at the beginning, she wants to be able to take over um, the family business of shipbuilding. At With the, the religious aspect. With the religious aspect... Yes. Okay. By the end, one of the things she's going to have to decide is, can she build just as well, even if she doesn't believe as much as others do? Okay. You have to have that, that faith to be strong in your craft. So, but how does that tie into what she wants? I mean, is she not able to have, in order for that to tie in, I guess my question is, is she, she either has to have the shipbuilding company, but now her faith is shaken, or she um, can't have the shipbuilding company because of her faith being shaken. So I guess I'm curious as to which one that is. Either one of them is a great story. Um, whether she gets what she wants, but not quite in the way she wanted, or now she can't have what she wants because she's changed. Either one of those is a great. Which one is it? It's probably the latter because her parents wouldn't have sent her to be apprenticed um, if they weren't concerned with 
the faith side of things. Mm-hmm. So she, so really, she wouldn't be able to follow the family tradition if she didn't prove that the faith, that her, I guess, faith was strong alongside the craft. So after, you know, she's got this, after she's been exposed to not one, but two people who have caused her to question, well, actually three with the crazy guy who cuts the sails. Um, <laughs> then it's the, well, is this, can I, can I do this? Can I fake it? And still, you know, put out something amazing. Um, or do I just need to find out how to walk away? Okay. Um, Veronica, let me, let me uh, uh, echo what has been said. I, uh, the world that you have crafted, uh, uh, I loved it back in your episode and I still love it. And the fact that you're, you know, your love of ships that you're drawing on that as uh, uh, a core desire to tell this story. I, I think that's, that's brilliant on your part as a writer. Cause you go with what you love. Um, and I'm, yes. I'm, I, I'm not feeling it. I know. I know. Say to someone before NaNoWriMo. <laughs> um, well, and, and, and I will preface that by saying, I, I should have prefaced it by not saying it first. Um, but, and this is, this is my personal uh, uh, perception. I'm going to try and articulate this as clearly as I possibly can. Okay. Um, and let me ask a question. When, when Taurus uh, drives into the maelstrom, is that the climax of the book? Yes. That is, that is what everything has been building towards. All of everyone's individual sub-stories and, and Esophon's grand arc has been brought to this moment when Taurus decides that his faith is strong enough for everyone and I am going to kill you all and grant you the ultimate blessing of death in the lady's arms. Is, is, is that... Okay, all right. Um, then... Uh, uh, I, I, and, and I think part, and I think part of it is, is that it's just not enough time to tell the story that you, you have crafted in five minutes. And I apologize for that. Um, but what, what I'm missing is, is Esophin's anguish, uh, her, her dealing with, you know, Riddick and, and is it, how close are they? Is the fact that he has turned away from her painful to her? Um, does she like Taurus? Does she admire Taurus? Uh, uh, and not even that there's, there's something even core, more fundamental that, that I think just needs to be shorn up in terms of the stages of Esophon's journey to this ultimate crisis of faith uh, in the maelstrom, you know, as she faces death, um, and, and, and maybe, maybe through the what ifs and, and the discoveries, we can work through that. I'm just... Does, am I making any kind of sense at all? No, you are. You're, ma- you're okay. making. You're making plenty of sense. And okay, I think. I think part of it maybe my desire to not to, to keep things short and not have to every sure. Detail. Yes, exactly. Um, all but right. I guess to answer a little bit, yes, she's enamored with Terrace. She's okay. also enamored with Khalil. Okay. Um, there is the conflict of wanting to remain close with her cousin because she and Riddick are very close. Okay. Um, so there is a lot of figuring out where to align herself um, and figuring out where she fits. But ultimately, this is a coming-of-age story, right? Correct. 
Okay. All right. Okay. That let me let me churn on that cuz I mean there's there's rich food here. I'm ju- I'm just not getting the taste yet. And and maybe with some what ifs uh uh that that can be kindled as I'm sure it can be. Um John, I know you had some uh, uh thoughts and discussion percolating in that brain of yours. Um what have we got for Veronica for a what if? I'm I'm shorted out on the the zealot aspect. It 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 struggles with me every step of the way there has to be a doubt or a reason that even though he believes he needs to question the actions even though he's sure of the outcome maybe he's worried about the collateral damage um there needs to be in his mind a struggle beyond the physical one for me to really buy in yeah taurus why 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 is taurus ready to kill himself what has driven him to this point and, and you know if it's, I, I guess that's my what if is maybe my what if should be, can there be such a schism in him? I think there needs to be. Okay. Yeah. Some, I can't make it more specific than that because I'm having no, no, trouble no, that, crystallizing it. That, that makes sense. And based on, um, okay. That, that does make sense. And okay. I think well, maybe some- he tries to take a lifeboat out into the maelstrom instead and they stop him. And so he doesn't see any other way but to take everybody with him. Yeah, you see, some something, something has to happen. What? Yeah, that um, really amps it. Okay. Well, that's not my what if. I have another what if. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no fair. No, no. no. We're no, all allowed to weigh in on each other's what ifs. That's perfectly Don't perfectly you step legitimate. on my what if. Oh, no. Don't you what if block me? <laughs> I, I heard what, Chris, did you have something else to I, add I, to that? I do, and it's sort of a takeoff of John's what if, is what if he receives a sign and to him, like, I don't know, a certain type of fish flops up on the deck or some, or a bird lands or something that to him is exactly what he needs to see. Like, it's, it's clear, okay. it's, it's unequivocal that, yes, this is a sign, this is what I must do. And even for Ezefin, it becomes a holy crap he might be right because that seems really peculiar it might not it might be a coincidence it might you know it might or it might depending on how you turn the novel it might become a you know holy crap he was right uh, okay, i don't I know do, i don't know if you want to turn it that way or not but no i i that actually i'd had like i i think in terms of scenes and if they actually fall into sequence it's awesome if not then everything's <laughs> just disjointed in my head but i had this idea of a scene where they are going out and a storm hits and um, Riddick has decided that he's going to be the one on lookout, and he is up on the mast and, you know, crow's nest. And he's on the lookout, and he's yelling, and there's lightning and thunder, and then waves wash over the deck, and Ezefin has to lash herself to, um, you know, one of the rails, and the mast cracks and Mm -hmm. tumbles, and she's... They swear that Riddick's lost, and oh my gosh, he's gone, and that's what you get for you know this storm here is because they you know upset the deity, and they're all going to die faith anyway. Is not pure, exactly. Yeah. You're <laughs> screwed. You should you shouldn't invest with all, with all that airship stuff. Steampunk is bad for you. <laughs> and <laughs> don't you wear those goggles? You'll go blind. <laughs> Stop boiling my water. <laughs> and then. Lo and behold, you know, the, the, the water rushes off the deck and her cousin is somehow hanging on to the rails and yelling into the wind. And finally the storm calms down and maybe all the stuff that they said about her cousin being blessed and chosen is true. 
because mm-hmm. he actually survived this. And that might be the sign that, hey, if he's on the ship, then we'll all survive anyway because he was able to talk down the storm. So, of course, he can talk down the maelstrom. It's all cool. Yeah, so, I they're think- really... No, no, I think a big thing is, is making it so Ezefin has doubts and or she, she thinks that, hey, there might be something to this. And I think that's, uh, an event like that would be great for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Starla, what do you got? Well, I had kind of mentioned before that, you know, this whole, if it's epic fantasy, you know, where's the magic? And maybe she needs to bring in more magic is, you know, what she, what Veronica here, you know, was considering so i guess my my what if is what if there is a nautical god what if it's not all just a bunch of you know mumbo jumbo and what if this particular sign is she has this dream and this deity actually speaks to her not only does it bring in magic but it brings in this doubt and that maybe religion isn't all bad you know if yeah no, yeah, and and we were talking about bringing in, weaving in more magic, and and making it a more tangible presence in the story. Yeah, does so that, it's not just that, preaching atheism. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe this is for real. Does that resonate for you at all, V? Possibly. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about the different little. Unless you want to preach atheism, in which case, that's yeah. Your I mean, that's fine with me. But <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, and, and yeah. I guess that's I guess that's one of the one of the problems that I'm having is is that there is magic, but it's not god magic, or or are there gods? Is there really a, a sea god, or is that not is that not something that you want to come out and and say? You want the reader to decide. It's probably something that I'd want the reader to decide. Okay, so but, the magic is going to be very But at the same time, key. I'm going to have to make a decision, gosh darn. Yeah, yeah, right. and well, I, th- yeah. I think that's yeah, yeah. the that's the problem is that right now it doesn't feel like any decision has been made at all about it. Right. So I don't know how fulfilling that's going to be for a reader because while, you know, it's great to have some stuff left up to imagination, you still have to have rules for the world that you create. Even if they stay off stage. Yeah. 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 They, they inform, they inform the, they, they inform the structure on which the state, the, the story is played. Okay. All right. Now, that, these, these are all good points. Jared, what do you got, sir? Um, well, you kind of have a tightrope you're walking here with this novel in that um, your protagonist and your antagonist are very close um, emotionally. And you've said that. And they're cousins. They've been raised together. Um, and you, so you kind of have this element that um, not to insult your work, but is common in a lot of romantic comedies. I know you're not writing a romantic comedy, but it's this idea that you have a guy who's trying to get a girl and she's already dating this horrible person. And then by association, you think, well, maybe she's not very good to, for him to be going after anyway because she can't see what a horrible person this guy is. So you have that question. If you have a zealot who is willing to kill an entire boat full of people, this is either going to be a sudden change in the middle of the book or he's going to be someone who is always kind of on that edge. And the question that's going to rise up from that is, why didn't she see this earlier? Um, I think introducing a grand event, like, like, like you said, is a great way to mitigate that partially. I feel like you, need more, you might need more trauma um, in both their lives. And we see the dividing line between one direction where your antagonist Terence goes into, which is akin to madness, 
and you have our protagonist's direction, which is a little more uh, perhaps measured and understandable so that we can see that perhaps he was a good egg at the beginning, but what something is going on that's pushing him farther and farther away from a normal person. And I think that's something you're going to have to judge. Yeah. So, so my what if would be, what if there was more bad things that happened? <laughs> oh, I can what if the thing at the, uh, the mask cracking is just the beginning or just the middle or, or the end of what is a series of horrible, misfortunate events that, both push your antagonist closer to insanity and push your protagonist farther away from him so that in the end, when they really are on two different sides, it doesn't become a... It's not a question in the reader's mind why this happened. Okay. What do you think, V? I'm thinking. She's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> she hates all of us right now. She does. She no, does. no, no, no. I... I probably need to answer more questions with the outline and firm up the middle of the story so that stuff does spiral for these characters and that like you said Jared that you know stuff really does drive them towards one way or the other um, and have more bad things happen <laughs> it's always a good thing That's, you can never go wrong by having more bad things happen to your character oh I can make yeah. bad things happen that, that, there is no doubt about that I oh, can, v, that can, I, can I jump in and feed your appetite for destruction for a second Oh, please oh, sure. John, Go for I just read, I know I've been a member of the Beatles tonight and I'm sorry uh, but what I'd really like to again is in some way making this let's talk back to Starlight again very messy and maybe in some way if this character is a zealot because he's right and that's totally great once you've decided your work on the page will be informed by that um i think jared called it a tightrope tightrope you have to make sure that you know what's what side everything's going to fall on and how the gravity works um, but even if you gave the character a moment of doubt that he has to face in himself and then push through his dark night of the soul and do what you knew he'd do all the time but maybe the audience didn't that may be enough to for me to get him out of that because nobody even you know even great religious leaders probably have a side or a drinking problem there's got to be something there to make the struggle matter more i mean you're going to get compared to moby dick with this because uh, you have your own ahab <laughs> and that's just going to happen so you might as well embrace that and and take the ahab if you haven't already and and let that inform your character yeah 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 what is the and, pov and on this like, is it, is it strictly from the, the protagonist, or do we get to see other sides of the story told from other people? I don't... Because that might make a difference. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I, generally, when I write, I prefer to only have one character's point of view, but I don't think I can get away with that, with this story. I'm going to have to do some from Ezithin's point of view. I'm going to have to definitely... I'm going to have to do stuff from Ezithin. From her cousin's point of view, I'm going to have to do stuff from Tara's point of view. And probably towards the middle end of the book, I'm going to have to do stuff from Khalil's point of view to have, you know, j just to be able to see, you know, the, the, the non-lore side of things. I, um, okay. I would discourage you from doing that for NaNoWriMo. That, <laughs> that sounds like a second or third draft thing where you're... 
I need to add more of these other characters' POVs. You may just want to focus on, um, I've already forgotten her name, and you just said it, Essefence. Essefence <laughs> POV for these 50,000 words. Um, yeah. And just, just to get this out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Veronica, let me, I, I, one other question of clarification. Um, is Riddick the one who's blessed by the goddess? Yes. Or the god? He is. Yes. But but he spurns her. He wants to be a tech guy. Because he doesn't see, he, he doesn't believe that he's blessed. He believes why that. Is he, but he, why is he blessed? Why? Uh, now, first of all, wait, hold on. Back up. Is, is there a goddess? I'm going to be taking away John's time. I feel kind of bad about this. <laughs> Well, I, so I feel bad that I, I let off with I'm not feeling it. So I'm trying to redeem okay. myself here. Okay. By tearing um, your story apart. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well redeem yourself. that's really great. <laughs> okay, so, if, why, if, so why is he if, blessed? Is if Riddick question? is blessed, then there is a goddess. Supposedly. Uh, okay, then my what if is what if there really is a goddess? Okay. That's my what if. Because um, we've already got steampunk. Which, you know, while it can be explained away with aether and steam and gears and stuff, is magic. It, it has a lovely trapping of, of mechanized uh, I can hoo-ha. I argue this with you later, but we'll say yes to keep going. For, for now. Um, you know, the, the ray guns, the magneto rays, it's weird science which borders on magic. It's already requiring and establishing on one side of, of the, the cultural spectrum that you've defined a, a fantastical manifestation of technology. In order to balance that, if you truly want your readers to choose which is right, and I hope the air quotes came through very clearly on that one, Yes. Um, then you need to have an equally fantastical manifestation on the other end and let the human drama play out between those two fantastical polar extremes. And you have representations of each. I would say you've got Taurus, who is a fanatic of the goddess. Um, maybe make Riddick the, the, pol- the human polar other counterpoint to uh for for the technical side of things and have riddick and taurus you know have riddick strong enough change his position just enough so he can compete with taurus on equal ground culturally and societally uh in some way so that you've got esophin who has family ties to riddick but is um standing against her faith and belief uh standing very firmly and combating with uh taurus who is a fanatic um khalil can be sort of a gentle gentler go-between uh we we talked i think in the in the uh workshop about uh, Esophin and Khalil being a, a love interest, a romantic interest of some kind. Right. Um, and having them kind of duck under the radar and let her mm. wrestle with her uh, uh, faith in a, in a trusted uh, friend in Khalil who turns out to be, maybe he has his own doubts. You know, maybe he's kind of enamored of this, this goddess and asks her questions uh, and wants to know more about her because there's something missing in his own life. And he wants to have a sense of a larger uh, world at play. So you've got this very gentle Esophin Khalil romance going while you have the very charged and, and frothing Taurus and Riddick, which then naturally comes to a head at the maelstrom when everything falls apart and everyone needs to make a choice. Does that make sense at all? Yes, it does. 
Okay, but there was that. Yeah, it does. But I'm yeah, still no, thinking. it does. It does. I just okay. you, I, you just gave her a lot to think about. You, you okay, gave, all you right. gave me a lot to think about. You've right. confirmed some of what I have in my notes already. Good. Or what I want to do with Ezithin and Khalil. Okay. It, it, for in, in the interest of time, I've held back a lot of the mythos that I've already created that does answer some of those questions. Okay. Um, okay. So it's yes, it does help, and it does it does help iron out. Things and good. Yes. Okay. At least you got you walked away with a little food for chewing. That's oh, what, that's there's our, more than a little, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good. 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 It's Excellent. a smorgasbord. That is our goal here. You've been listening to part three of this four-part NanoRimo podcast. Thank you to all our participants: Veronica Giger, Starla Hutchton, John Miro, and Christopher Morse for bringing their creative insights to the table and supporting each other in the preparation for the challenges of NaNoWriMo. And special thanks to Jared Axelrod for co-hosting this unique podcast experience. To all our guests and to everyone out there participating in NaNoWriMo, we wish you every success in achieving your goals and bringing your unique stories to life. The dialogue and brainstorming continues in part four of the NaNoWriMo Project. Thanks for tuning in.